Hi, I'm Jillian Swinford. And I'm Haley Brolison. And this is Mother Nature Will Kill You. A podcast about the most horrific tragedies and the most triumphant survival stories that the wilderness can provide. So grab your backpack and maybe a bottle of wine and let's go on a wild ride into the unknown. Walking down this road I go, but I am going alone, running far, far from home, till I am skin and bone. Hello, hello, we're back. We're back again uh, after recording this exact episode a few days ago <laughs> uh, because we've had our first really big uh, podcasting hiccup. Um, apparently, yeah. I my microphone decided to make me sound like I was underwater. So <laughs> it's all good. Like it literally sounded like I was like in another room. <laughs> oh, and you're yeah. like muffled from a distance. Yeah, it was it was pretty bad. So <laughs> we learned a little bit about technology. So yeah, now we're gonna uh, do a little test recording before we start each podcast, just to fucking make sure because <laughs> we're recording re-recording this again for y'all. So we hope that you like it. Um, and maybe we can be a little more together this time around. Although I doubt it because I just did a whole, you know, eight hour day of work. And I know you just did a whole eight hour day of work. Yeah. So, um, you know, you're just going to get what you get. And you're not going to throw a fit. You're not going to throw a fit. All right. Well, let's just do real quick. How are you? Have things changed for you? (laughs) Uh, Same old, same old. (laughs) <laughs> really complain too much. I will say my health is getting a little bit better by the week. So mm-hmm. fingers crossed by March, I'll be back to normal. Yeah. But, um, yeah. No, everything's okay. Yeah. I worked, you know, eight hour day. We're getting ready for Ocean Fest in Key West. And mm. yeah, I got a heated blanket here because there was a cold snap that came through and I bought a heated blanket for it. <laughs> it's been great. I love it. Every little bit of it. I naturally am pretty cold anyways. And so like, I just find myself using this heated blanket to just even like sit around the house. And now even yeah. though it's like 70 degrees outside, I'm still like cold on the inside here. So. Oh yeah. Thanks. I'm I'm straight up in my bed right now, like under all my comforters and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting on top of my heated blanket, but I might shift a little bit and uh, get under it. But Waylon is right in front of me right there. Of so. course. Yeah, he's been a little bit of an asshole recently. It's the cold will make animals kind of go nuts. I know. Really? Yeah, Marzi is a little bit, she's got a lot more energy when it's cold outside. She is just full of sass. Yeah. And I remember when I used to ride horses, like you knew that if it was a cold day, you might get like bucked off or something. Hmm. (laughs) That's interesting. 
are ready to, you know, fight. <laughs> I just always thought it was because Waylon liked the cold better than like the heat. Like yeah. it was, it was cooler out. So he didn't feel so sluggish because he wasn't as hot. It was funny when um, the cold front moved through, it was also very windy and he is pretty um, like scared of storms and mm-hmm. any loud noises. And so when I woke up in the morning to let him out, I typically keep the front door open as I'm getting ready. Cause he just wants to go out all the time. And I don't mm-hmm. feel like opening the door every five seconds. So <laughs> I just keep the door open. Um, but he came back in the house and he was like barking at me and like, you know how you can read a look on a dog's face and he was like barking at me and his look was just so concerned and he was just like barking and he was like was trying to get my attention and I'm like in my bathroom trying to get ready and I was like what is it boy like joking with him like did Johnny fall in the well again and he's like rrr, rrr, rrr. and I'm like what's wrong I'm like literally what's wrong okay and I was like show me and he's like rrr. and he like barks at me like turns his head like come on and, like looks back at me like are you coming and so I follow him and he like he goes out the front door and I like, follow him out the front door and I'm like looking around. I was like, there's nothing out here, bud. Like, I don't know. And then like the wind blows and he like barks and like looks around at everything. And I was like, ah, it's windy. And he's like, <laughs> <laughs> uh... was just like so concerned. It was so windy that it was like, I think it was so loud to him and he just like wasn't used to it. And he was mm-hmm. just like, mom, what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> It's like, yeah, but it's wind. <laughs> Poor baby. Well, we've had an eventful, it's going to be an eventful week because we had like torrential downpour on Monday and I was working from yeah. home. Yeah. 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 Tell them that. Tell them that story. <laughs> so uh, it rained like pretty much all day Monday and turns out our gutters are not cleaned out at all in the slightest and we did just move into this house so it's not like you know we really had time to assess our our gutter situation yeah um and so basically what happened is because the water wasn't going anywhere it was just pooling on the roof of the sunroom and all of that water just poured into the sunroom instead of going out the gutter spout so (laughs) So fun times were had (laughs) yeah so I like went to jokingly let Marzi out because she'll like get excited when you you know be like you want to go outside and she's like oh yeah hell yeah and then she'll get to the door and it'll be pouring and she's like I don't I don't want to do that I don't want this (laughs) but it's I don't want any part of this (laughs) you could do it to her like five minutes from then and she would have the exact same reaction like she has no like like memory of the fact that it's like pouring rain so it's I was like doing that to her and I like you know jokingly open the door to the sunroom and it's like there's water everywhere I'm like oh fuck it's like this is not good so we have to we've been drying everything out trying to dry everything out before this freeze hits tomorrow um so everyone's been texting me like are you guys ready do you guys have a generator are you all prepared and I'm like first of all I might be jinxing myself but like based on the forecast it doesn't look like it's going to be anywhere close to the one last year but 
I don't know. It's it's interesting to see everybody is prepping like crazy because we're so paranoid that the Texas power grid is going to fail us again. Got to get the milk and bread. Yeah. So even for those two days, I'm just like, you just, you don't know. Cause it is going to go like in the twenties, two nights and it could very possibly go down again. Yes. Yes. But not, I don't think for as long. So the temperature is only getting below freezing for two nights. We're not getting into the teens. We're just in the twenties and, um, it's not staying below freezing during the day. So I think that's good. Last, last year it was like a week of below freezing temperatures just for a week straight. And I think that was the biggest problem, but they're already telling us to have our heat to 65. (laughs) Oh yeah. Which is fucking cold. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's called ac yeah (laughs) yeah so i'm gonna just be bundling up in sweaters and hopefully hopefully we won't lose power again did you like in college did you never turn the heat on or like wait till the very last possible day to turn your heat on to save money on some bills because no because i never lived off campus in college oh because i i we did that one time and there was one day me and my roommates were like in sweatpants we might have had two layers on it was like sweatpants sweatshirt we were bundled up under a blanket and everything having our coffee like watching tv Mm -hmm. and we could see our breath in the living room and (laughs) my one roommate was like all right I've had enough we gotta turn the heat on yeah (laughs) I was like yeah I can't do this either can we please turn the heat on now (laughs) so my parents just texted me that old rag is now a ticketed hike did you see that no so starting in March, anyone that wants to hike Old Rag, which for those of you that don't know what that is, it's a trail in Shenandoah National Park. Um, it's about nine miles long. It's got a huge rock scramble at the top. It's fun, but it definitely takes you like a whole day to do it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they're starting to ticket it and it's starting in March. And I've hiked it a couple of times. So I just told my parents, like, oh, I'm glad that I got to do that before I needed to have a ticket for it. And, yeah. Uh, my dad goes, getting the riffraff off the mountain. And I was like, <laughs> oh, really? Because I thought that would help, like, with the overcrowding. And I don't know yeah. if you've heard this, but, like, I've heard how a lot more people are going outside and, like, on hikes into these, like, national and state parks and doing all these things since COVID. And they've had like a large overcrowding issue. And there's a lot of parks that are now like ticketing trails or just ticketing other things yeah. to help with the overcrowding. And my dad was like, it is because of overcrowding. I was just being sarcastic. <laughs> and he says that the park makes 800 tickets available 30 days in advance of the hiking date at 10 a.m. And then it makes a second set of 400 tickets available five days in advance of the hike day at 8, 10 a.m. How much are tickets? Don't know. I didn't look into it. They like literally just texted me. So yeah, I feel I feel like that has become a huge problem, like in all of the national and state parks. Because here we have to get our time, even in state parks, in advance in most places. Yeah. So like we have to like pick a four-hour time slot that we want to be in the park. And we can't get in the park if you don't have that ticket. 
Man, see, like, I, gone are the days are when you can just mosey on over to your local park or trail and just enjoy yourself. You need to plan in advance. Yep. Yeah. It's nuts. And like, like, that's something that I liked about the outdoors. It's like, you can just, if you're stressed, you just like, I'm going to go on a hike and just go do it. And you're not like, now I feel like you have to plan around your stress. Like I'm going to be stressed to this day. So I'm going to want to hike the day after and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. 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 That it is. It's extremely annoying. And it is probably in part because of, um, Uh, the pandemic. But I think too, it's just because more people are seeing like doing outdoor stuff and being in national parks as like a cool, like Instagram worthy kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they're like, oh, yeah, let's do this hike so that I can get this like really great picture. And I think that's part of the problem as well. It's like, I'm not really outdoorsy. I just want to go get this picture. Yeah. And I feel like that happens a lot, especially in like the really popular national parks that have like really like, like gorgeous scenery that's easily accessible. Mm-hmm. I think it's a little different when you have to, you know, do an entire day hike to get to a place. But yeah, um, we had to do that for like all of the parks in Hawaii. We have to do that for all of the parks here even if they're just like state parks, it's, it's ridiculous. It really That's is. Annoying. Yeah. It's, especially if they're parks like in Hill country or near Austin, because like everybody and their uncle just wants to go to those. Yeah. And it, it's like, don't get me wrong. They're beautiful, but that's <laughs> like, stay home. <laughs> we don't need you all out here. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that. I'm a snob. <laughs> Well, it's nice that everyone is like trying something new. Yes, but because the outdoors should be enjoyed, but it's like also like a eye-opening experience seeing how many people are really out there now. It's like Jesus. Yeah, and that's the thing. There's so many freaking people on this planet. So the more that we get people interested in the environment, the more we're gonna have to put restraints on like what we do. You know? Yeah. Which sucks, but yeah, it's a bummer. Well, I have a couple of news stories. Yes, tell me more. Okay, so last episode we talked about the Tonga tsunami Mm -hmm. um, that literally happened like, what, two days, three days before we recorded. Mm -hmm. And basically what happened is this underwater volcano or this active seamount that was like very close to the island chain of Tonga, which is a Pacific nation that consists of 170 islands um, uh, stretching out to an area roughly the size of Texas. So that's a pretty big area. Um, So this volcano erupted near the islands and the uh, like seismic waves basically produced a tsunami that... um, definitely has impacted Tonga and impacted their ability to communicate um, via the underwater cable uh, line. So for a while, we didn't know what was going on there, but now we have updates as, as um, more news is coming out. So basically the, the most damage happened on three pretty small islands Um of Nomuka, Mango, and 
sorry, Fono, Fonofua. Mm-hmm. And they were hit by waves that were almost 50 feet high. Jesus. That's now, so tall. It's, Isn't that like taller than the big wave surf in Hawaii? I think official, I can't remember if it's 40 feet or 60 feet for an official big wave. Okay. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it is like around that size. Yeah. So. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. So bigger than big waves. It's stupid big. And these these islands, while some of them only have like a couple of families living on them, they do have people living on these smaller islands. And, um, and so basically all the people living on these islands um, are basically like producing their own food, collecting their own water, you know, they're built all of their own houses. They don't really rely on a lot of um, like incoming imports from the main island of Tonga Tapu, which is like the bigger island that has the capital. And there was some damage seen in the capital. However, um, these islands really got hit hard. And so they're not going to be able to bounce back without, you know, resources from aid groups and aid companies and um one of the inhabitants of this island um her whole family lives on the island she basically described um she was making dinner they were just hanging out at the house and they saw the water just recede from the reef and that's that's what she knew that it was coming um it's like freeze frame fade to black and white Yes. That's when I knew I, yeah. I was fucked. So she basically was like, okay, just yelled at everyone to run for the mountain that was in the center of the island and mm-hmm. to get, and they all made it to safety. So, you know, that's good. But like just that whole like idea of watching all of the water recede from the reef, like really weirds me out <laughs> it so weirds me out too scary. especially um, like that happened with the uh was it in taiwan when that indonesia indonesia yeah yeah when that happened oh my god i remember saw i seen footage uh, yeah. when the tsunami wave hit and i was like holy moly the whole yeah. beach was like empty and then yeah. it just comes right back in full force <laughs> Yeah, and then you're dead if you can't get to higher enough ground or yes. find somewhere to hold on to. But oh my gosh, yeah, it's so scary. And but so that is one of the signs of like an incoming tsunami because most people won't get like you know actual notification that it's happening before it happens mm-hmm. um, because the eruption happens so quickly. And you know, you may not be watching the TV or you may not be on your phone when, you know, the warning call goes out. So yeah, scary, scary, scary. Um, we'll say ever want to be caught in that. No, (laughs) no, thank thank you. you. (laughs) Um, the tsunami is known to have killed three people. Unfortunately, one person on Mango Island, um, one on Nomuka um, and then a woman on Tonga Tapu, which is the biggest island, who mm-hmm. was swept away while trying to save her dogs. Um, so the big island um, that houses the capital also, you know, saw some significant waves, but it wasn't like the 50 foot 
high wave that those three smaller islands saw. Yeah. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, three people did die, um, which is a lot less than what I, this sounds bad, but it's less than I thought it was going to be. Oh, yeah, of course. You would think it'd be like hundreds. Yeah, because the Indonesia one, like there was so much death on that one. It was like just a massive amount. So I'm, I guess, pleasantly surprised. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad that most people were able to like make it to safety um, because that could have been really devastating for that country. Yes. So um, obviously they're still trying to get aid. Um, I know New Zealand is um, trying to send aid um, as those countries are pretty closely linked. But um, if you can find uh, any way to donate, I know, uh, you could donate to the World Health Organization or potentially maybe Red Cross might be doing something for recovery efforts. Um, so if you have some extra money this month, that might be a good thing to look into. Sounds like a good way to donate. Yeah. All right. So let's bring it up a little bit. Yeah. What we got a, today? A story about a puppy. Oh, puppers. I have another news story. <laughs> I don't remember how I found this, if it was on TikTok or something else, but I found the story about this dog that got stranded in Hampshire, England. Um, They were out on a beach and basically the dog got stranded on these mud flats that flood during high tide. And poor pepper. And, like, nobody could reach her because it was too muddy. Or, like, they tried to reach her from the water in kayaks, but she was scared of the rescuers and was too skittish. So she was just hanging out. And then somebody was like, hey, you're using the drone to get footage of her and, like, get, you know, visual on the dog. Mm -hmm. Whose name was Millie, by the way. Millie. Millie. And she is a Jack Russell Whippet mix. Okay. And please go look at her because she's just a precious little baby. <laughs> Google her. She's Millie like the, the dog. sweetest little nervous looking baby girl. Reminds me of mine because Marzi's a Whippet mix as well. Anyway, so they were using drones to find her and to, you know, get get eyes on her. And somebody came up with the idea of attaching a sausage to the drone. Yes, I love this already. To lure her away from the mud flats. Aww. And onto higher ground. (laughs) She does look super cute. She's got like the squinty happy eyes. Yes, sweet baby. Um. But yeah, so they literally just tied a sausage, which was like provided by a a neighbor who had just gone grocery shopping at Aldi. And he was like, here, (laughs) have this, use it. (laughs) They tied it to a string and dangled it from the drone and it worked. (laughs) That is so funny. (laughs) She definitely followed a little sausage and there's a video of it too. It's hysterical. If you get a chance, go look at it because it's like- drone footage of this little dog following this little sausage on a string (laughs) i bet her tail is wagging too god yeah it's so funny but 
So that was, you know, that's a good little uplifting story. Yeah, I would say um, so. And she's a survivor because she followed her nose to safety. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Marzi, it would definitely work on Marzi. She's so food motivated. Yeah, I would say it would work on Waylon as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what they were saying. Like, so that was a really, you know, strange thing they did to rescue her, but they would definitely consider like doing it again if something like that happened again. <laughs> yeah, totally. So why not? I mean, it worked. Yeah. So, so good for, for little Mills and everybody just follow, you know, follow the sausage on the string to your heart's content. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> I'm tired. That's some good advice. <laughs> it's great advice. Find your sausage on a string and yeah. follow it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we don't have anything else. I guess we can uh, get into it is story time. It is story time. It is story time. And this one is I wanted to do um, another mystery because I had so much fun doing that in October when we did all the spooky oogie stories. Yeah. This story isn't as it's not necessarily spooky, but it is like very much mysterious. Mysterious. Yeah, it's a little I could say it's a little eerie. Basically, this whole mystery takes place on Mount Everest. Bum, bum, bum. We have visited before, so I'm not going to go over so much um, necessarily all of the steps it takes into climbing Everest, and we'll go over some of the um, pitfalls that people um, get involved with, but I'm I'm not going to go as in-depth as I did in episode two. So if you want to listen um, to more about what it actually takes to climb Everest, go listen to episode two. Um, all right. It's a so- good one. It is a good one. It is about- still a little rough, but it's a good one. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of audio issues, but uh, it's fun. <laughs> it's a good time. <laughs> we got through it. It's okay. Uh, okay, so in the 1920s, Mount Everest had not been climbed. And furthermore, it had only just been surveyed by Westerners. Um However, after it was declared the tallest mountain in the world, it was only a matter of time before Westerners sought to conquer it because that's kind of what we do. Their jam. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, so Everest has always been the mountain of death. Every year it claims dozens of lives of those who attempt to climb it. And in the early days of climbing, before Everest had been successfully summited, it acclaimed the lives of hopefuls as well. And this is the story of some of the first climbers on the mountain and the mystery that surrounds their deaths. This is the story of George Mallory and Sandy Irvine. Two good-looking dudes. Yeah, they are. They're little cuties. Little, I'm a fan little british cuties they look like they're very like academia cute you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like like an educated cute so george herbert lee mallory was born in cheshire england in 1886 as a student at winchester college 
Um, a teacher recruited Mallory for a mountaineering trip in the Alps, and Mallory quickly became obsessed with climbing. After graduating from Cambridge, he became a schoolmaster, but continued to refine his skills in the Alps and in Wales. He served in France in World War I and returned to England and was chosen for the first major expedition to Mount Everest, which was arranged by the prestigious Alpine Club. So this was when his first encounter with the mountain began. Cool, cool, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Tight, tight, tight. So the 1921 expedition was for, basically was just for reconnaissance because they had to find the mountain first and trek around the base and basically like survey it because this area had not been visited frequently by foreigners. And this was because (laughs) at the time Tibet and Nepal were kind of like closed societies. They were Mm -hmm. definitely both close to international travel, but this expedition was allowed. So they began mapping out a potential climbing route from the Tibetan side, which is in modern day China um, as they had more access to Tibet than to Nepal. So Everest is interesting in that it is exactly on the border of Tibet mm-hmm. and, or sorry, of China and um, Nepal. And so basically you can climb up either from the Chinese Tibetan side or the Nepalese side. Um, and most people do the Nepalese side nowadays because it's been determined as like the easier route to do Um, yeah so but in the 1920s they thought it would be easier to climb on the tibetan side in september however the group attempted to climb the mountain but high winds forced them to turn back on the north call which is the first intense slope that climbers encounter on the mountain. At the time, Everest was considered the third pole, in quotations, um, since this was around the same time as the North and South Pole were reached by explorers. Um, And it was considered just as impossible like with the technology available to reach like the top of Everest as it was to reach the South pole or the North pole. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, It was described that it would be as difficult at the time as it was to try to go to the moon in the 1960s. Oh, wow. So it was like, like it was the thing to do. It was the thing to do. So Mallory set up a second Everest expedition in 1922. This expedition featured using supplemental bottled oxygen for the first time due to the thin alpine air above the death zone on Everest. So you probably remember, because we've talked about the death zone a lot, we've talked about it on uh, episode two. We'll mention to all the listeners again The death zone is an area of Everest and other mountains that is higher than 8,000 meters. And it's called this because there's not enough oxygen to sustain human life. So when you're climbing in the death zone, your body is literally dying every minute you spend there Mm -hmm. because you're just not getting enough oxygen. 
um, you can be there for a couple of days at the most before you die, essentially. (laughs) So sleeping, eating, breathing is difficult. And eventually you stop sleeping and you stop eating. Um, And eventually if you spend too many days here, you will die. And so you can climb Everest without supplemental oxygen and people have done it. Yeah. Most people climb with supplemental oxygen even today because it's just so dangerous without it. And it's dangerous with it, but it definitely increases your chance. more of a chance. Yeah. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. So that's a little fun thing about Everest and other mountains like it. (laughs) Love that for us. Yeah. Um, So Mallory and a team climbed without supplemental oxygen to 27,300 feet on the mountain, but couldn't go any further. Um, They did a second attempt. And this resulted in an avalanche that killed seven Sherpa porters. Oh, yeah. They're the best people too. They are. And if you remember, I went on a long rant about them in episode two. Um, Yeah. Sherpas are the native peoples uh, of like the Himalayan region in Nepal. Um, Mm And they like, you know, have better endurance in high altitude areas because they spend their whole lives there and a lot of the men um act as guides and porters for western and just foreign expeditions basically and so behind every mountaineer that summits everest is like i don't know two to three sherpa porters like hauling all his shit and mm-hmm. helping him fix ropes to get up the mountain him I should say he or she. Sorry. I'm not trying to be sexist. <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> but um, so without Sherpas, um, summiting Everest would be pretty impossible for like a vast majority of the people who have summited Everest. So, yeah. Um, there are people who like free climb or like not free climb, like solo climb it. Um, but it's it's not. That would be so wild. Yeah. It's not usually done. It's not usually done. Usually you go with a big group of people who are also interested so that you can help each other out. And then you have a whole like team of like 20 Sherpas helping you as well. So it's definitely a group effort for most people. But in the case of Mallory and Irvine, not so much. It's just the two of them. So let's talk about um, Andrew Sandy Irvine. Sandy. 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 <laughs> I could go on another tangent. I'm trying real hard to not talk about that <laughs> <job> right now. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, I'll help you. So uh, Andrew Irvine, or Sandy Irvine, was a young 23-year-old from a large um, aristocratic family. He had relatively little climbing experience. However, he was an Oxford engineering student. And created a lighter, more reliable model of supplemental oxygen tanks called the Mark V. After his second expedition in 1922 and their failure to make it to the top without oxygen, Mallory considered the tanks the only way to summit Everest and survive. So he brought Sandy Irvine on um, basically as an engineer to help out with the tanks. Mm -hmm. So... Before 
Mallory left on his third expedition to the mountain. He was now 37 years old. He was asked why climbers bothered even attempting to climb Everest, which seemed to be an unclimbable mountain. And he replied, because it's there. Just because it's there. Just because it's there. So I've heard this saying, which is now like a famous banner for explorers and climbing enthusiasts and like outdoors people as a reason why anyone decides to put their body through any of these things that we do. Um, And I think this saying kind of embodies the whole reason we have this podcast in the first place as many of these events befall people who have this like same mindset of like, I want to, I want to climb this because it's here and I won't, you know, I want to be the first person to do it, or I want to see things that other people haven't seen. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it, it definitely is something that I, I can understand because there's places I want to go because right. I can, you know, yeah. And, and it so, seems cool. Right. Like, yeah, that'd be a cool thing to do. <laughs> Cross that off my bucket list. Might not be the smartest idea, but. <laughs> but it'll be cool. Yeah, I don't I don't know a lot of people who actually want to go to Antarctica as badly as I do. But every time I say that, they're like, but it's cold. I'm like, yes, but it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So I, I get I get that sentiment. I mean, that's why we went to space. What was the point right. of us? Why do we go to space? To do really? it. Yep. Because we could. So that's where that originated from, that whole saying. Mm-hmm. So the team for the 1924 expedition was made up of Mallory Irvine, as well as Noel Odell and Howard Somerville. And you can see... Actually, it was a team of eight people, but those were the four people that were on the mountain when Mallory and Irvine went missing. But you can see the uh, expedition group. Let me get the pictures up real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, here it is. Yes. A reconstructed photo or recolored photo. Yeah, it's definitely recolored because the colors are definitely off a little bit. Mm-hmm. But um, it really picks up on the yellows. Yeah, and the oranges. Yeah. <laughs> so Mallory is in the top row second from the left, and Irving is the far left in the that awesome bucket hat. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's those are the clothes that they wore to climb this thing. <laughs> it doesn't look like they would be very warm. No. We'll get into exactly like what they had in comparison to like like one of them looks like he's in a suit to go to like church or something yeah well you know you always gotta look you always gotta look your best yeah (laughs) gee whiz (laughs) and like it's just the hats like comparing like their their get up to modern day stuff it's just kind of funny yeah like they're wearing like felt hats like a fedora like they're not even like a helmet yep because you just you gotta look good you gotta look good yeah i don't (laughs) yeah Trust me, I like fashion. I get it. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's talk about what they had. Um, so all was going relatively smoothly as the team made progress up the mountain, which is a multi-day climb even in modern times. So when you climb Everest, you typically break it down into several days, maybe even mm-hmm. a week. 
where you spend time at different camps at different elevations as you go up the mountain until you're able to make a summit bid in the death zone. Um, and that should only be done in perfect weather conditions. Otherwise, and nowadays, isn't it all backed up? Like oh, line? yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's, you know, you're talking about all of these national parks and stuff being overcrowded Everest is is you know (laughs) yeah it's not exempt from it um yeah and the biggest problem is you get these climbers up in the death zone you have hundreds of them sometimes because they're picking the one day that's like perfect conditions to go so they all Mm -hmm. go at the same time and then there's some sections that are technically difficult where you have to do some actual rock climbing to get through them or where only one person can pass at a time. And so it creates these bottleneck events. And so people are literally just sitting and waiting in lines, waiting yeah. for people to get through in the death zone where every minute brings you closer to death. Yeah. Not a good time. It's fucking wild. Go look up the pictures. Cause it will blow your mind. I'll mm-hmm. see if I, I have enough pictures uh space um on the instagram post i'll I'll see if i can post a a picture of that because it's it's crazy but wasn't that way in the 20s um they had the whole damn mountain to themselves which must have been pretty cool yeah it would have been pristine yeah so on june 8th uh of what is this 1924 yes 1924 on june 8th of 1924 Mallory and Irvine set off for an attempt on the summit. They were camped on the North Call at 26,800 feet before they left early in the morning. They were carrying equipment, including a few heavy oxygen tanks, pickaxes, and a Kodak camera. Um, And that was in order to take pictures um, of their summit success. Mm -hmm. To prove that they did it. Exactly. Um, They were also only wearing typical climbing equipment of the time, including tweed jackets and sweaters, tweed, tweed, natural fiber clothing, not the modern high tech jackets and climbing suits that we use today. Um, And these suits were made, fun fact, by Burberry. Oh, yeah. like, (laughs) Like the high fashion, like, you know. The scarves. I remember in high school, mm-hmm. everyone had a freaking Burberry scarf. Yeah. That was like the one thing. Well, they started out like North Face, essentially, but in yeah. the 1920s, they built, they like made like, like cold weather, you know, foul weather gear, essentially. And that's they, so funny thinking about it. I know. And now they just make fucking trench jackets, <laughs> like yeah. beautiful ones. Like, like they're gorgeous, but. <laughs> Um, so they also had hobnailed boots, which basically like having cleats so they could grip on the ice, mm-hmm. um, a fur lined leather and a far, sorry, and a fur lined leather helmet. Um, so the jackets they were actually wearing made by Burberry were called Shackleton jackets. Oh, because well, Shackleton. Right. So his whole thing had happened like uh maybe 10 years before yeah like that before this event and so he was famous because of his whole ordeal 
Um, so they named the jackets after him, which I thought was a cool little addition. That was um, nice. So these jackets would have been fine on a clear, sunny day, but it's unlikely that they would have survived if a serious storm had come through. So yeah, what they had really wasn't up to snuff as like some of the stuff we have now. And even with the stuff you have now, you can still die of hypothermia on the mountain. Right? And plenty of people do. Um, so it was a particularly cloudy day. So the other climbers that were further down on the mountain at the lower um, camp couldn't really follow uh, Mallory and Irvine's ascent up the mountain. Um, they were essentially like watching the ridge line leading up mm-hmm. to the summit. And when the clouds got in the way, they couldn't see them. But Odell claimed that he got a break in the clouds and claimed to have seen them climbing for a moment around 8 a.m. on the northeast ridge, just a few hundred meters from the summit on the second step, which is one of the, it is the difficult technical area that you have to, it's literally like a, a small cliff that you have to rock climb up um and if you know how much like how many feet they have to rock climb up i don't know i've seen pictures of it actually the photo i put on the instagram that is the second step oh yeah um the one that i put this week for you know oh guess where we are yeah that is the second step so that that can give you like an idea of what it, it it's like the second step is the most difficult part of the ascent to Mount Everest from the Tibet side, and it is approximately 8,610 meters, um, or it says like between 8,610 8, meters and 8,650 meters. That's that's the height above sea level. That's how high it is on the mountain. I'm a dumbass. Um, it has a 40... <laughs> it has 40 meters of almost vertical ascent. There you go. Yeah. Just, we got to keep reading. That's part of my problem. So multiply that by three to get an you know estimate of feet. That's 120 feet. Yeah. That's pretty intense ascent. Yeah. The second step. So that's, that's literally the part right before you get to the summit fun fact in 1975 chinese climbers put an aluminum ladder there yep yeah so in in modern day they have ladders and ropes and all kinds of stuff to help them but mallory and irvine would have had none of that because nobody had gotten that high on the mountain yet gosh so So, probably oh my gosh imagine like climbing 120 feet in the 20s with that kind of gear. Mm-hmm. Jesus. With your Burberry. Your oh Burberry Shackleton jacket. <laughs> a Burberry. It just um, kind of seems like one of those things. They like, I mean, obviously they were like as prepared as it could be for like their time. But like mm-hmm. now looking back on it, it just kind of like kids walked out the door, grabbed their jacket, decided yeah. to climb Mount Everest. <laughs> like <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> All right. So. So Odell claimed to see them just before the second step at 8 Mm -hmm. a.m. But then um, clouds covered them again before they reached the second step. Um, And Odell noted that they were about five hours behind schedule based on where they should have been. 
Mallory and Irvine didn't return from the mountain and were never seen again. Oh, no. Never Uh, seen again. Yeah. There has always been a lot of intrigue surrounding Mallory and Irvine after that fateful day on the mountain. It just seemed like they disappeared into thin air. Exactly. And the intrigue is mostly because Mallory and Irvine were so close to the summit. Um, so yeah. it's it's thought that Mallory and Irvine were the first, like actually the first people to summit Everest, not Edmund, Hillary, and Tenzing Norgay. Yeah. Um, who summited in 1953, about 30 years after Mallory's 1924 expedition. So that's how long it took for us to get an official successful summiting of Mount Everest where they survived (laughs) on the way back down. So there is some debate on whether Mallory and Irvine were at the first step or the second step based on Odell's information. And the first step is similar to the second step and then it's rock climbing is involved. Mm -hmm. Um, So and there is some argument as to whether they could even technically climb the second step, which, as we've found out, is 100, about 120 feet mm-hmm. uh, vertical cliff and is notoriously the most difficult part of the summit bit. Um, however, since one of them was carrying a Kodak camera, if the bodies were found, it might be possible to see if they summited with the camera film that they yeah. were. Right. So. It's thought that the two either fell to their deaths with a misstep or were exhausted and out of oxygen and were forced to spend a night exposed in the death zone, freezing to death. Ugh, sounds like a nightmare either way. Yeah. I'd rather, I'd rather just fall and Me too. just die immediately. Like Quick and easy. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, freezing to death. Although I, I have heard that, like, when you get right up until that threshold of death, it gets real warm and real light. But I feel like you have to suffer a lot before that happens. Yeah, I'm not down for the suffering. <laughs> yeah. I'm, like, cold right now, and it's, like, 70 degrees. <laughs> right? I'm like, I can't do, like, anything under 30. No. So um, there is, on slide two the last photo taken of Mallory and Irvine before they made their um, summit bid. Mm-hmm. And they got their oxygen tanks. Yeah, you can see them. It looks like little jetpacks. Yeah. <laughs> little jetpacks. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, they got like canvas tents. Mm-hmm. Does not look very warm. It's like a sheet over a clothesline. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> like little pup tents, like from for Boy Scouts. Yeah. <laughs> um. So let's kind of get into some of the clues of where we might find Mallory and Irvine's bodies. Because mm-hmm. um, many people wanted to find the camera so they could solve the right. mystery. Yeah. So in the 1930s, Irving's ice axe was found at about 27,700 feet. Um, Which this, is right before the first step. Yes. Yeah, so this was found just below the first step. And while some interpreted it as being lost when the two fell to their deaths, others think the axe was laid there intentionally by Irving for others to try to find them. Mm. It is thought that the pick pickaxe belonged to Irving. Okay. 
So this next one is really interesting. In 1975, a Chinese climber discovered a body that he described as belonging to an Englishman wearing vintage English climbing clothes. Mm-hmm. So the sighting was beneath the ice axe ridge and the body had been described. Now this is a little graphic, but it is important for later. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the body had been described as gape mouthed and with cheeks pecked out by birds, Ugh. which is gross, but note that they could see the face. Yeah. Okay. Birds go that high in that environment. Apparently they do. <laughs> what kind of bird goes up there? I'm going to Google that now. I know there's a crane that migrates like over the Himalayas and it's like a very dangerous migration. So they like migrate from Tibet to like the lowlands in India. Oh, okay. Um, but I don't, I don't know. Um, I think potentially what he saw might be because there's nothing that really lives up in the death zone. Yeah, that's what I was like. Yeah. But that's how he described it. So it might be that like the wind had kind of worn away and maybe yeah. it looked like the cheek had been pecked out. Well, apparently but... every year millions of bar-headed geese migrate over the Himalayas. Oh, it wasn't cranes, it's geese. That's what it yeah. is. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it does happen, but I don't think <laughs> there's a geese like... Let me gnaw on this frozen body for a minute. Right. I'm <laughs> Although, gonna look, this, look into this a little more to see if there's any birds on Everest. Too. Although I don't trust a fucking goose because they'll get you. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yes. So anyway, so this Chinese climber found this body and then he described it to a Japanese climber that he was climbing with. But the Chinese climber fell to his death the next day. Ugh, what a bummer so there may have been information lost in translation and we can't get that information back again yeah and that sucks the crazy thing is like he died too like this mountain kills people yeah all the time all the time and here i was being a kid watching all these like everest documentaries like i'm gonna do that one day no you're not no like girl (laughs) you can barely walk up a flight of stairs without wheezing calm yourself down (laughs) exactly you're not climbing Everest so this body though had to be Mallory or Irvine as no other British climbers were missing on that part of Everest at the time yeah and like based on the clothing and stuff so that was a big thing but we lost a lot of the information um Last, in 1991, an oxygen canister from the 1920s was found um, in the same area, which prompted an exploratory trip looking for the two bodies. Um, So this is where we get to our second expedition of this story, which is also very fascinating and amazing that they were able to do what they did. Uh So... In 1999, an expedition called the Mallory and Irvine Research Expedition set out to locate the English dead that had been reported by the Chinese climber in 1975. Um, The team was made up of American mountaineers, Dave Hahn, Jake Norton, Andy Politz, Tap Richards, and Conrad Anker, who was the leader of the North Face climbing team until 2018. So 
he's pretty well known in the climbing world and just in the outdoors world in general. So his Mm -hmm. name is probably pretty familiar. So conditions were favorable on Everest this year um, as the snow on the north face had been blown off of the rock and gravel, which would have made like looking for a body easier. Right. Yeah. Um, So two weeks. Oh, actually real quick. So we have a picture of our 1999 Everest team. Yeah, they got the full getup on. Oh, yeah. They even got some walkie-talkies. It's great. Yeah, most most teams that climb Everest use walkie-talkies so they can keep in contact and make sure, you know, people aren't dying alone somewhere, you know. Yes. Um, and it's, and I'll post this on the Instagram page, but it's really interesting to compare what they're wearing to what the 1924 team was wearing. Yes. Um, definitely got the full bright colored puffy snow suits. They are not messing around. Um, no, they look very warm. They, they do. They look great. Um, so two weeks before the expedition started looking for the body, Conrad Anker, who is a world-class rock climber, attempted to free climb. That's without ropes or ladders or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, The infamous second step to see if Irvine and Mallory could have climbed it. Um, At the time, Anker stated that Mallory could have negotiated it, but with difficulty. But since then, he's declared it's unlikely. Yeah. There has been. I mean, I don't know who could free climb 120 feet at that elevation in that weather. Conrad Anchor did. Yeah, I know that there's people, but like, sorry, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and like Mallory's a pretty accomplished climber. He did a lot of climbing in Wales, which is known for like rock climbers all over the world go there. But yeah, I don't know. There's there's a lot of other factors involved too. Um, Right. So. Uh, Conrad Anker said, there is no question in my mind that an accomplished climber could have climbed that head wall with no aids. And we know Mallory was an accomplished climber. But what I wonder about is the combination of factors. Could they have done it all? In mm-hmm. 1924, when the, ro- the route was unknown, I don't know. Yeah. Because that's the other thing. Like the- People have climbed this mountain so many times that there's like a known kind of route of even in these spots, you know, where you have to free climb. Like if you had to, somebody's already done it. It could give you advice on how to do it. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So right. And, and most people do like the fixed ropes or the ladder anyway, they don't climb it like that at all. So when the members reached the section, Oh, actually, before we get into that, Let's let's take a, a step back and just kind of go over what this team was actually accomplishing. Mm-hmm. So because where they were looking for the body was so close to the summit, they just decided to summit and then look for the body on the way back down. Yeah, like it's just like, oh, hey, boys, we're out. Why don't we just go summit this real quick and then we'll get back to our chores. Right, which is <laughs> insane it's insane given the whole death zone situation yeah because the whole time they're looking for the body they're in the death zone right yeah and the climb down from the summit 
is notoriously where the most deaths actually happen. You're tired. Is on, is on, exactly. Because you're exhausted. You're like, well, I got to the summit and it's fine now. I'm good. You know, so you're not paying as much attention. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they did that, that they summited Everest and then decided to go on a little archaeological dig in the death zone on the way back down. It just blows my mind. Just another day. <laughs> That's like an attest to like to their skill, their skills as like a group. But yeah. Yeah. So once they summited and when they were climbing back down and looking for the body, they reached the section where the body was thought to be. They spread out and walked across the mountainside, which wasn't like a gentle slope. No, no, no. It was like like a very steep slope with like loose rocks and scree. Like if you took a wrong step, you'd just roll on down and never be Ooh. seen again. Like you no, should thank see you. the video footage of, of them doing this. It's insane. Um, I'll have to look that up later too. Yeah. Uh, so they found bodies of other fallen climbers in the area, but since their clothing was modern, they figured they were recent victims Um, and this is another thing bodies just get left up on the mountains because it's too dangerous to bring them back down that's what I was gonna say like imagine just like seeing all these dead bodies there's so many up there oh I like that and and you can't bring them down because the death zone altitude you're already fighting for your own life yeah Um, and then they're also usually frozen stiff and so they're very hard to maneuver yeah Yeah. so they just get left up there and there's a lot there's a lot of them um so they found all these modern day victims um but conrad anchor then discovered an old body laying face down on the slope with his hands outstretched wearing historic clothing including layers of cotton and silk underwear a flannel shirt canvas outer garments and hobnailed boots a sure sign that this was one of the two Mm-hmm. because nobody else would have been wearing this that had died on the mountain and what's super interesting in these photos is like he's really well preserved yes he is it's gross but like it, it just looks like hard plastic his leg does or a very very pale person who just passed out yeah 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 it's there's no decay at all um, None. And like all his clothes is ripped up, which is interesting. Yeah. So um, that was from the wind, oh. which is crazy. You know, I feel like if he would have like fallen and like bled from his head or somewhere, there would have been signs of that. But it doesn't look like there's signs of that in the photos. Yeah. I don't have an explanation for that one. So but let's get into yeah. who he was. I'm going to so. keep Googling while you talk. isn't that what we always do i know um so at first they assumed that it was sandy irvine because it was near the ridge where they found irvine's pickaxe um and they even started scratching a memorial stone with sandy's name on it um but because the wind had wind had torn the clothing off of the back of the body they were able to find a name tag on the shirt and it had George Mallory's name. Oh. It was actually George. That was the giveaway, yeah. Yeah. So Paulitz recalls, now I realize why I said it wasn't Irvine. It was the position of the body. 
So if you remember, the body they were looking for described by the Chinese climber was face up. Yeah, that's true. And they described the face and like the decay on the face. Mm -hmm. And this one is face down. Man. Paulitz also said, my knees literally got weak. My jaw dropped next to me. Dave was going, oh, my God, it's George. Oh, my God. Yeah. They photographed the body and searched his pockets, finding a broken altimeter, uh, snow goggles, a pencil, letters and papers, but no camera. (laughs) Someone's got to find that camera. Freaking Kodak camera. (laughs) I know. Um, I mean, the film is probably still fine whenever they do find it. Yeah, that's what I was wondering, too. Like, would it still be preserved? Maybe because it's It's still in the case. Yeah. Exposed or anything. Well, and it's so cold, but I would think there would be some decay, but I'm not a photographer. I don't know anything about film. Yeah, I think as long as it's like, I don't know anything about film either, but I think (laughs) as long as it's not like exposed to like sun. Right. Or something. I don't know. Well, clearly people still thought that if they found the camera, they would, you know, be able to. So somebody knows. Somebody knows something. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's not me. It's out out there somewhere. (laughs) It is. So bummer that they didn't find the camera, but there were some clues going on with what they did find. Mm -hmm. So the fact that his snow goggles were in his pocket probably meant that they were descending after dark, which meant that increased the likelihood that they had actually made it to the summit. Yeah. Because they were seen near the summit around eight in the morning. And then you're like, you're moving so slow up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if it was dark, they'd probably summited. Yeah. That's what I'm then. saying. Like it takes yeah. forever because you're moving so slow. Exactly. So, like yeah. if it was dark. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's a good sign. Um, in addition, they found the tibia and the fibula of the right leg were broken above the boot and the right elbow was broken or dislocated, likely from a fall. So you fell. So that was one of the theories. Um, there were also cuts, abrasions, and bruises, as well as a climbing rope tangled and compressed against his rib cage, which is another sign. Yeah. The rope had evidence of being snapped, which indicated that Irvine likely was attached to his partner and fell further down the steep slope. Ugh. Yeah. Yuck. They also collected samples of the clothing and a DNA sample to make sure that it was Mallory and it was. They covered the body with rocks to protect it from birds and other scavengers. So somebody must, there's something that lives up there. We need to find, we need to figure this out. Yeah, there's like some animals like weasels and little pikas and stuff like that. But the, what I've seen so far is like they're not anywhere like above like 4,000 Right. That's what I'm thinking. So, so I don't yeah. know, I'm still looking into it. Well, they covered the body in, with rocks and gave him a very short funeral service. Yeah. Um, Norton said later, it seems an odd thing to say, but I don't think any of us wanted to leave him. We were very comfortable being with George. He was so impressive to be with even in death. Yeah. And he was like the OG. Yeah, he, I mean, he's these guys' hero essentially. Like, there's such a big climbing legacy on this mountain. It's yeah. I mean, yeah, George Mallory's basically an Everest legend at this point. Well, that's a fascinating story. I got a little bit more. 
Um, So two men from the expedition returned to search further to make sure they didn't miss a camera. Um, But they only found a broken wristwatch. Another item that was missing was a picture of Mallory's wife that he had promised to place on the summit. Oh. So potentially because it was missing, he had summoned it. Right. It's not like they found the picture on the summit that had probably blown away by now. Blown away, yeah. Yeah. Because it probably wasn't very well secured up there. No. Um, Later, when observing Mallory's notes found stuffed in his pocket, some clues were discovered. It had been assumed from looking at historic pictures, like the last picture of them, Mm -hmm. that they each had two oxygen cylinders. Um, And you can see in that picture that you can only see... Like the two on the back? Yeah, um, but the notes that Mallory had showed that they each had three cylinders. Oh, okay. So this, with a lot of other highly technical notes and evidence that I'm not going to be attempting to explain because I am not an engineer and I don't understand all of it. Um, but yeah. basically, some of these notes surrounding the rate of their climb and um, about how much oxygen they were using and at what time shows that it was possible that they could have reached the summit. Although without the camera, there is no solid evidence and there are a lot of other variables involved, including weather, climbing abilities, and the time of day that they reached the summit if they did. Mm-hmm. So since this expedition, there have been numerous attempts to find Irvine's body but none have been successful thus far. Um, and you said he would be farther down? Farther down the slope. And yeah. it's potential that we may never find him because of how dangerous the slope is. Yeah. Like, think he may have just fallen into the abyss. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah. What if he had fallen into the abyss, how about one climber see him? I don't know. Maybe, here's my thought about that one. <laughs> So that happened in 1975. What are the odds that rope maintained its integrity until 1999? Yeah, it's true. Especially like when you look at George Mallory's clothes, how completely ripped up they are. Definitely could have decayed. Yeah, that's my thought. Definitely a lot of things to think about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a really interesting mystery. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that is the Everest mystery of George Mallory and Sandy Irvine. And people are still out there looking for Irvine's body to see if they can definitively solve this. I feel like if they find him, then they could find the camera, but yeah. also might not find the camera. I know that was one of my I was thinking about this after we recorded it because we, had, you know, we've re-recorded it now. I was thinking about it and I was like, what if what if it just fell or what if it got smashed? Or anything could be a possibility. Yeah, like what if it fell out of his pocket? I wonder also if like one of these days, like the snow is going to melt just a little bit and there's going to be like a Kodak camera on the trail and someone's like, oh, a Kodak (laughs) camera, like pick it up and then get it developed. Like, oh, shit. (laughs) It's like right there, like on the trail. (laughs) Yeah, like near where the ice axe was. Yeah. Like threw everything up. Like, remember me. Hey, man, climate change could solve this mystery. You never know. I don't know. Or maybe a bird just takes it with it a little bit further down somewhere. I don't know. Yeah, apparently there's a ton of birds and scavengers up in the death zone, which I'm like, okay. 
I, I know I wrote this script, but now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, as a biologist, I know that's not the case. <laughs> yeah. Like, I know it's not. There's no birds up there. Imagine, uh, though, like, if a scavenger, like, is just, like, collecting all these items and putting them, like, in their home. And, like, there's just, like, some, one of these days someone's going to be up there in, like, this hole and, like, to see, like, a Kodak camera, like, pieces of clothing, like, some rope. It's just, like, all this random shit that, like, an animal decided to, like, take with it. It's just a crow. It's like a yeah. crow's horde. Yeah, keeping shit. everything. There's, like, so much garbage on that mountain now from all the climbers. Like, there's a ton of, like, discarded... That's so sad. ...canisters and, well, obviously the dead bodies, but, like, other stuff, too. Like, you know, food ration wrappers and destroyed yeah. tents and stuff. There's all kinds of stuff up there. I mean, when you really think about it, it's probably like a pretty gross place Mm -hmm. now i read something about there was an expedition that went up there just to clean and it was was, led by sherpas yeah that was gonna be my next question was like if that's actually a thing or not yeah i'm pretty sure it's led by like a group of sherpas to go up and um clean but it's so dangerous because it's in the death zone yeah it's Like, like they're just spending like a minute at a time cleaning up like imagine Imagine like be- you know cleaning the beach, but doing it at you know twenty seven thousand feet, <laughs> and you can't breathe. <laughs> no, <laughs> and and yeah. you can't do much about the bodies. I mean, they're gonna be there forever at this point. Yeah, that's way too much energy to bring bodies back down. Yeah, it's you it's, can't get a helicopter up there, so that just makes no. everything worse. Yeah, you can't. Hi, puppy girl. Are you waking up? Hi. Waylon moved over next to me instead of in front of me. She is so tired because she's been playing with our friend's dog for like nonstop for days. So she's like, she's big napping right now. Napping. Um, let me do my citations real quick. Yeah. Um, so I have a George Mallory, British explorer and mountaineer from the Encyclopedia Britannica. Um, what really happened to George Mallory and Andrew Irvine? Killer climbs. Uh, Mount Everest archaeology in the death zone by Lars Pilo uh, from Secrets of the Ice. Uh, Ghosts of Everest by Eric Simonson, Jochen Hemleb, and Larry Johnson of Outside Magazine. And then Lost on Everest, which is a Nat Geo documentary on Disney Plus, which talks about um, finding Mallory's body and then the expedition to try to find Sandy Irvine's body, but they weren't able to find it. But it is still a really interesting um, documentary that you can go see on Disney Plus if you want to get a little bit more in depth with this story. Cool. Yeah. Happy things. Happy things. I am going to another doctor that I need to go to tomorrow. (laughs) That doesn't sound happy. (laughs) It doesn't sound happy, but like I'm finally getting into a doctor that I've been needing to get into for like three years. So, well, that's good. (laughs) It's a relief. Yeah, that that is a relief. I need to go to the dentist real freaking bad and I just have been putting it off and putting it off. So I feel that big time. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Um, my happy thing is that we were able to solve the flooding problem. Oh, yeah, (laughs) that's true. Um, with the, uh, 
So we were able to get everything dry. There's no water damage. So that was nice. Um, Do you have to clean your gutters or is your landlord getting someone to clean them? No, I think, I mean, we were supposed to, but we've only been here for a couple of months. So we just haven't thought about it. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of like partially our fault, partially their fault. You know what I mean? Right. So nobody's just, really blaming anyone. I don't think gutters is like really a tenant's responsibility. We used to do it in Virginia. Oh, really? Depends. Yeah. I've never had someone ask me that before. I'm used to like lawn care, but like not yeah. gutter care. Yeah. I, and that's something I, I need to talk to him about, but it's just, you know, we've only been here a couple of months and, you know, it is what it yeah. is. So, no water damage is good. Um, and yeah, I guess that's my happy thing from. That's good. That is a good, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And hopefully uh, we'll get through this freeze, this little mini freeze. Oh, well, hopefully you don't have like a true freeze like last time. Yeah. I would be very happy just sitting in my warm house, wrapped up in blankets, drinking hot cocoa and making soup the whole time. That's, that's yeah. the goal. That's the goal. I was uh, having a chocolate craving earlier, but I already ate all my M&Ms. So I had some hot chocolate from last year's winter. And I was like, ooh, I'll make some hot chocolate. <laughs> I love it. Maybe it's so nice. Maybe I'll make Corey make us some hot chocolate for bed. So we yeah. go sit in bed and drink hot chocolate and watch the new episode of Boba Fett. That'd be fun. Mm-hmm. We got to because my boy is a big Boba Fett fan. So yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I have this projector I bought like, I don't know, 10 years ago. And it's like a little mini projector. Mm-hmm. It's like probably like the size of, it's a little bit bigger than a credit card. And um, I have recently like turned my room into like a movie theater when I want to. Like I have like a, I bought this like sheet off Amazon and it's like a projector screen sheet that you can mm-hmm. take down and it doesn't wrinkle or anything. And um, my freaking projector like keeps dying on me even when it's plugged in so I think the battery's just going out but it's just so nice to be able to lay in bed and have like a big screen yeah right in front of you and then I got these smart light bulbs when I went to um Walgreens they're like $15 a piece but they're wi-fi connected to like an app on your phone and you can change them any color you want you can change the brightness you can set them on timers and like all this stuff and it's so great so like instead of using an alarm now I just have my lights turn on instead of like having a loud noise wake me up my lights just like wake me up and they actually wake you up yeah it's really nice I feel like that would not wake me up (laughs) it works for me it's like a I think what it's well I think my dog also helps to wake me up too but Mm -hmm. like by the time I do wake up it's you know there's lights on and everything yeah um and then I have them like scheduled to turn off at night but so like with the movie theater situation it's like I have them on like this purple light and I can dim them down to like one percent brightness mm-hmm. so it's like dim purple and mm-hmm. then you have like the screen going and it's just so nice to sit in bed with popcorn and like m and yeah and like just watch movies and shows and everything um so I guess it's time to wrap rippity wrap this up Yes, I need to go to bed. It's 9.23 over here. I know. And this is the, se- the second time we've done this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to check and make sure that it fucking worked this time. If um, it does, I guess. Yeah. We'll just have to record again. I, yeah, I don't know. I'm just going to, it's going to be a wash this week. Um, yeah. So where can our listeners find us? 
You guys can find us on the social medias on Instagram at Mother Nature with You Podcast, on Twitter at MNWKY Podcast. We have a website that's Mother Nature with You Podcast.com where you can find us there and listen to us there. And then you can also listen to us on any streaming platform like Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts and uh, uh, Spotify. Yes. Um, and you can. Um, Actually, we encourage you to submit your own personal survival stories or, you know, just close calls with nature. Um, and you can submit them to our website. We have a page for it. Doesn't have to be anything crazy. Um, it just, you know, you don't have to have found a body of a famous dead explorer on the way back down from summiting the tallest mountain in the world however if you have we'd love to hear about it (laughs) conrad anchor yes (laughs) um um, but yeah it can be anything um that you've experienced so please submit those um if you want to Um, and there's actually a new page on our website that I just put up that I'm pretty Ooh, psyched about. Um, nice. I put up a uh, map of all of our episode locations. Oh, cool. And it's linked with Google Maps. So you can really zoom in on it. You can switch it to satellite if you want to like really look at it and kind of follow us along. So like with each episode, I will be posting like the location of our upcoming episodes so that's cool yeah (laughs) i added that new page so i'm pretty excited about it so go check it out um and then um if you want to help the podcast but you don't want to spend any money because i know everybody is poor in this capitalist hellscape Mm -hmm. um (laughs) (laughs) uh you can give us a five-star review because on any of the listening platforms, um, because this will really help us um, move up in the eyes of the algorithms um, and hopefully uh, kind of um, advertise us to more people, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want to help us out, please give us a five star review. And you can do that on Spotify now. Didn't used to be able to. Now you can. Um, all right. I think that's about it. Yeah, it sounds like that's about it. Yeah. So. Alrighty, friends, until next time, stay safe, but most of all, stay curious, explorers. See you later. Uh, Goodbye.